Okay, we're at 24.14 is where we left off verse 13 last week. So we're at 24.14. Joshua is going to call them to a covenant renewal, and then we're going to have a funeral for Joshua. No, you don't need to. It's right here. This is a prayer sheet right here. So let's look at, uh, we'll, we'll take it in, in sections. Let's look at verse 14. Now, therefore, this is Joshua. He has begun uh, assembly with the nation leaders of Israel. And so we're in the middle of this address to the Israel uh, leadership. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods, of, the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. And among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is jealous, God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. Let's stop right there. What we have is really four statements by Joshua and four responses of the people uh, right here. And it begins there in verse 14 with, now, therefore, so these first 13 verses of the address of Joshua, he walked through their history, God's deliverance, God's protection, God's sustaining them as he went through uh, Abraham being called out of uh, Mesopotamia, out of where he came, uh, then Isaac, then Jacob, uh, then the Exodus, 
then Joshua building an altar as they're going in to conquer uh, Canaan. God took care of them in the wilderness. And so Joshua comes and he really calls them for a response, uh, a command, if you will, verse 14. Now, therefore, since all of this has happened, God has taken you, brought you to this place. We're in Shechem. Serve him in fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in fullness and in faithfulness. Now, therefore, therefore, because of all that, this is a logical response he's calling uh, for due to the display of God's grace for them. He called again, he called, he delivered, he he uh, protected, he supplied all that they need. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. It's a reasonable response. It's what we see not only here. It's what we see in Romans, 11 chapters of the doctrines of salvation. And then chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you. I plead with you. Paul says, now that we've gone through all of the provision of God in his grace. He says, I plead with you. Therefore, brothers, in view of all the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not a lifeless carcass as the Old Testament sacrifices, but a living sacrifice. Holy, because it's offered to a holy God. Acceptable to God, he'll take pleasure as you give yourself to him, as you consecrate your life, which is your, and depending on your version, ESV, which is your spiritual worship, uh, your reasonable service of worship, I think, is how, how uh, uh, New American translates it. Maybe you're, if you're using the LSB, Whatever that, where are the letters for that one? LSB or something, the new one. Um, your reasonable service of worship. Therefore, because of God's grace, present yourselves to God and serve Him. And that's just a reasonable, logical uh, uh, result of that. That's what Joshua is saying here. Now, therefore, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Then he says, put away the gods of your fathers that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. What a, in these couple of verses, notice the word serve. We saw it three times right there. Verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father that whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the Jordan, or the gods the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve the other gods. So here's this commitment to serve God and God alone. Uh, and he does a strange thing there in verse 15. He calls them to service seven times in those two verses. 
uh, 17 times in chapter 24 in various forms. But he doesn't challenge them to uh, either worship God or don't worship anybody. What he does, he tells them essentially, you're going to worship. You need to worship God and God alone. He's created you as worship. We're worshiping people. We will worship. So he doesn't say worship God or, or there's no, nothing, no worship going to come out of you. No, look, worship God and God alone, or you might as well go worship the uh, gods that uh, Abraham's uh, ancestors worshipped on the other side of the river. Or, you know, that, that would be a traditional, a conservative you know, wanting to go back to the traditions of the past. Or you can be like the liberals of the modern day, the folks who, who want to be relevant. Worship the gods of the Amorites who are living right here around you, the ones that you defeated, but they're still around. You can worship them. Or maybe you're, you're a progressive. You're going to be avant-garde and you'll Go find other gods outside of these areas, you know. Just might as well go worship somebody else if you're not going to worship God. But you're going to worship something. And if you don't worship God, you're going to worship somebody. And it doesn't matter who. Because you're doomed without worshiping the one true God. And so verse 15, he just kind of lays that out. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, the gods your father served in the region beyond the river. If it's evil in your eyes, he starts, verse 15, to serve the Lord. Now just pick your gods. It really doesn't matter. But you do have a choice to make. You choose God exclusively. You can't have God at all if you don't choose him exclusively. Take your pick. <laughs> Matthew Henry, you must choose, if not Yahweh, Jehovah, then take your pick from these dunghill deities. Uh, and you might say, well, that's stupid. And Joshua says, that's my point. If you don't worship God, you are stupid. It's worse than that. You're condemned. And so Joshua is encouraging this uh, as he's about to die. He's encouraging these leaders who will then pass it down to the whole nation. He uh, is encouraging them to follow the Lord. And he's telling them whose slave or asking them whose slave are you going to be? Will you be a slave to sin or will you be a slave to righteousness? Again, that's exactly what Paul talked to the Romans about in chapter 6. Thanks be to God, you who once, you were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the heart, from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Joshua is telling these folks, Whose slave are you going to be? Uh, and then he closes verse uh, 15. Uh, you know, no matter uh, what uh, the world says, no matter who stands against me, uh, 
popular opinion can, I don't know, go fly a kite, maybe. Uh, I, me, verse 15, me and my house will serve the Lord. You can say, well, yeah, Joshua, you're about to die. That's easy for you to say. That's a good time to make this commitment. But Joshua has been faithful all the way through. At least from what we know of, from the point he was uh, a spy who was called to, by Moses to spy out the land, he and Caleb at least were faithful and brought back uh, confidence that the Lord would take them in and secure the land for them. He's been this, this committed all of what we know of his life. So no matter what. They're going to uh, serve God. They must, verse 23, look down at 23, put away the foreign gods that are among you, incline your heart to the Lord, uh, to the Lord, the God of Israel. So we have to give ourselves completely to God. There's no, there's no king's X as you come to serve God. There's nothing behind your back that you can cross your fingers and hold a little bit back. Now, if you can, if you know when you were converted, the moment, if you not so much, if you know when you were converted, um, did you come to Christ and give Him everything except something? Did you hold back anything when you came to Christ? If you did, you really didn't come to Christ, right? Now I will say, when I came to Christ. I had no idea what it was about. I mean, other than the Lord saved me. I knew he saved me, and I came to him with my all. I had no idea what that meant in the big picture. Of course, none of us do. But we can't come to him and say, I'll give you everything except for this part of my life, that part of my life. And that's what he's saying here. You've got to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, or you can't serve him at all. Put away all these gods, all these uh, false, uh, uh, false religious uh, gods. Put them away. Let's go to Isaiah 44. Let's just look and see how the prophets spoke about these things. Isaiah 44. Keep your finger there in Joshua. We want to get back and finish. Isaiah 44, we're going to start reading in verse 14. It's a section, uh, according to the ESV, uh, the folly of idolatry. But look at how Isaiah talks about these uh, false gods. He, the carpenter, is verse 13, he cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it 
and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, and I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for you shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there any, is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted the meat of eaten, and I shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? The absurdity of it. And that's what Joshua is doing with these folks. Uh, go on, uh, uh, Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah 10. Jeremiah does the same thing. Now, uh, yeah, Jeremiah 10. We'll just look at the first six verses here and see the uh, metaphor Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah uses, or the picture he used. Jeremiah 10, verse 1. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither it is, is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty. And that's not what it said, but you get the picture. Just imagine the power of these gods, Isaiah says. Half of it's going to cook your dinner. Half of it's going to be your God. You got to nail it down, Jeremiah says. You got to put silver and gold on it to pretty it up and then carry it around with you because it can't go anywhere. It can't say anything. Uh, okay, absurdity. Well, that's kind of what Joshua is doing. Uh, uh, it's ridiculous to think that you're going to be okay serving these other gods. And that's Joshua's point. All right, back to Joshua 24, verse 16. So Joshua says, full commitment or none. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God, and they recite all of the Lord's works for them, the good works. You're right, Joshua. It's a reasonable response. It's our only reasonable response. God has been so gracious. He's been merciful. Uh, he's been full of loving kindness towards us. We will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. 
I've thought twice to, in this study of Peter and the disciples. Uh, Peter says in John 21, after Jesus is crucified, I'm going to go fishing. Ah, we'll go fishing with you. Uh, we'll go fishing too. Joshua says, we're going to serve the Lord. These folks say, yeah, we're going to serve the Lord with you, Joshua. Well, verse 19, Joshua counters, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. He says, be careful in what you commit to. God is, is serious to commit your life to God, to serve him. Verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. God is holy. God is jealous. He won't overlook breaking your covenant with him, breaking your commitment. If you leave him, he will consume you. Uh, again, Peter, you know, even if I have to die, I'll follow you. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Peter says. And all the disciples said the same thing. And let's see how many, 20 verses later, they all forsook him and fled. Uh, so Joshua is saying, be careful in your commitment. Be careful in what you claim to be and do. Know your God. Don't presume upon his forgiveness. Don't think. Uh, that he'll say no big deal. Uh, that's the devil's trap. We've talked about that before. The devil will tell you one sin doesn't matter. God's going to forgive you. Jesus' blood is powerful. And then as soon as you buy into that and you commit a sin, he says, you fouled up, you might as well go all the way. You've blown it. God is not a, or Ralph Davis, Yahweh is not a soft, cuddly Santa in the sky who drools over every easy decision during invitation hymns. They need to do away with their self-confidence. They need to shut, close their mouths and consider the cost. Jo Joshua says, serve the Lord your God. And then Joshua says, you can't serve the Lord your God. Uh, kind of a paradox he's laying out here. You can't, in your own confidence, you can't in your own power, you're called to serve God, 
You're called to be a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can't be without the Lord's help. I'm reading Sinclair Ferguson on the sanctification, and when you become a Christian, there's still indwelling sin. And that indwelling sin, the nature of the indwelling sin has not changed. Sin is sin, but you've been changed, and now you have the enablement, you have the power of the sanctifying Spirit of God to overcome every temptation and to serve the Lord your God. But that's in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of God who dwells in you. So Joshua says you can't, uh, you cannot serve, what does he say? You are not able to serve the Lord. Jesus says you can't be my disciple unless you give it all, unless you forsake all. He is a holy God, he's a jealous God. He will not forgive your falling away. Of course, unless you repent. You know, Jesus is, when Jesus says that in Luke 14, the, the crowd is big. He's got these groupies with him, if you will, some who are true believers and some who are just following. As he continues to teach, the, those on the periphery just seem to, more, to fall away, and he emphasized, you cannot be my disciple. You better count the cost before you commit to following me. We don't have a place to lay our heads. Uh, the animals have a place to stay. We don't. You don't know what, you're, what it is going to mean to follow Christ. But he calls for a full commitment, just as Joshua is here. Uh, be careful. It's a costly commitment. Be careful as you consider Uh, Ralph Davis says, we, we perjure ourselves before a holy God as we sing, I surrender all. You know, we do our best with the songs that we sing. Uh, this isn't 100%, but we do our best to not sing congregational songs that tell God what we're going to do for him. Maybe our heart's desire but we want to sing about who he is and thank him and praise him. Uh, and we should make some kind of commitments, commitment to him. But we got to be very, very careful. And any commitment we make, we know we can't keep it without his help, without depending upon him. Count the cost, he says. Um, and we need to tell people. He says we don't, need to uh, we don't need to present a cellophane Jesus, kind of an antiseptic Christian life. You know, it's a, it, it'll, it'll wash away all the germs, all the bad things. We warn people that coming to him requires this careful consideration.
uh, I was convicted because I couldn't. Do you remember your baptismal vows? Do you remember what was said when you were baptized as a believer in the Lord Jesus? Upon your public profession of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we baptize you. You were baptized as a public profession that you are going to follow Christ. Of course, we don't haven't upheld that perfectly, but we made a vow, or at least we we stood there and committed ourselves before whoever it was we were baptized. You know, for some, it's just a, a kind of an icing on the cake, a, a, a final sealing of their salvation, which is not what the scriptures teach. But it's a commitment to God to fear him, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, like Joshua is calling the Israelites to do. So he presents that paradox. Serve the Lord your God. You can't do it. Don't be so confident that's meant to drive the people to Christ, to God. Uh, verse 21, and the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, your witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, yes, we are witnesses. Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve his voice. We will obey. And Joshua says, okay. Verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. Shechem, where Abraham first received the promise of the land, where they were standing, uh, what, 600 years before or something. And they're standing here now. God is faithful in his time, not always in our time. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, these words of the covenant. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the, Terebinth or under the oak tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his uh, own inheritance. So the elements of the covenant, there's a, they, we lose the picture in 25 where it says he made a covenant. Uh, it, it's cutting a covenant. It's, it's the animals cut in half and walking in between the halves of the animals. It's, it's literally cutting a covenant. So there's a covenant that is cut. There's a sacrifice made in this covenant commitment. 
And under stipulations, put in place, verse 25, put in place statutes and rules for them. And the covenant is established at Shechem, which is, again, a holy place for the history of the Israelite people and their relationship with God. Uh, And Joshua recorded them. There's a, if you will, a hard copy of the covenant. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And then he made a memorial. He took a large stone and set it up under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall witness, shall be a witness against us, for it is heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. The emphasis upon God speaking, what God is speaking to them, not what they have committed to or what they have uh, spoken. It shall be a witness against you lest you deal falsely with your God. So, uh, Genesis 12, 7 The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to them. So the original promise to Abraham is you will have many descendants and you will live in this land. And now 600 years later, as I said, his descendants are standing here, having inherited the land, hearing this same demand. Lord your God serve the Lord your God incline your heart to the Lord the God of Israel so Joshua has led them to renew the covenant and then essentially they go back home Joshua sent the people away every man into his inheritance the the provision that God had given them. They go right back to where they have received the land that they had received from the Lord. Uh, Joshua had them renew the covenant. That means there was a covenant before. No other religion has a God who covenants with the people. There are covenants that are made, made between kings and their subjects. There's between people uh, who are equals. uh, But there was no such thing as a covenant-making God. This God is a unique God. He has demands, demands for exclusive loyalty. The false religions have many gods. Take your pick. Uh, And yet this God who makes this covenant... He makes and keeps his promises to these people, to his people. Binds himself by covenant to his people. Verse 29, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died 
being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. We saw that in the book as they conquered the land and Joshua was given this area, this city. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord had that the Lord did for Israel. So Joshua, during his day, after Joshua dies, those who outlived him who had known all the work that the Lord did, next generation, they serve the Lord. That generation was faithful. Your next page is Judges, right? Go to Judges 2. We looked at this a long time ago. A rehearsing of this episode at the end of Joshua's life, beginning of verse 6, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. They went back to their inheritance. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance, Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Verse 10. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. We're not very far away from that being possible to happen to us as a people. Right? We're a generation away from losing the gospel. We're always there. Now, the church will survive. Whether providence survives or not, the Lord will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church as it moves forward. But that's no guarantee to anyone of us and our descendants. Joshua dies. That generation dies out. And the next generation, if you know what happens in Judges, forsakes the Lord wholesale. So, whatever accomplishments are the Lord's accomplishments. And we must remain faithful for him to continue to be with us. Anything about Joshua? We're done. We're done with Joshua. Anything? Any comments, questions, helps? Okay. Well, next week we'll begin something else. What? What? <laughs>
Well, I think we'll go to Jude and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians. I think that's what we'll do. Let's pray. Our Father, we uh, thank you that we have in our laps, on the table, in our chairs, your word complete. Everything that you have seen fit to reveal to us that we need to live. And then as your people, you've also endowed us with a new nature by your spirit. Everything we need to live a godly life. Father, we thank you in your word. We have the picture of Israel, your faithfulness to them, the warnings of their unfaithfulness. We thank you that we see through your word you are unchanging. And in that immutability, in that unchanging nature, you bring to us promises that we know will never fail. But we also see a multitude of warnings. Lord, warnings about turning away. Warnings about being flippant with the life that we live. Dabbling in sins here and there. Consequences. So Lord, we pray, we ask you, to lead us not into temptation because we're prone to wonder. We ask you to protect us from the evil one and even from ourselves. We ask you to fill us with your spirit as we seek to know you in your word. And your word is hidden in our hearts to enliven us And we pray you would fill us with your spirit daily. We thank you for the gospel, for Christ. That you sent him your only begotten son that he lived the life we can't and died a satisfying death, a death that turned your wrath away for all who would believe. We thank you that we have these two who are interceding for us daily, the spirit within and our Savior at your side, reigning as King. Lord, we anticipate his return. And we say, come quickly, or come, Lord Jesus. 
and yet we forget that. We live for today, seeking what we might gain tomorrow. Help us to leave what's behind, leave the world that's in front of us, and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who has finished our faith, that we already experience this new life in him, and yet one day we will fully be glorified as we see him. Remind us, please, keep us grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.